electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, Delta, Disney, and your dollars, where stocks can head in the weeks ahead, with some saying everything is about to rally. Can that really happen with the virus still a major risk? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour this Friday, Shannon Sakosh is here, Jason Snipe, Kevin O'Leary, and Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go take a look at stocks as we get things going today. An early jump taking a hit after that much lower than expected read on consumer sentiment. Dow's still good for 40. S&P a few points. NASDAQ's a fractional loser. And the 10-year note yield is at 130. Pete Najarian, though. I got to tell you, I'm coming to you right away and I'm coming to you on Disney because right. the commentary that you give today to me is is the most interesting thing that I've that I've heard. Today. Can you hear me, Pete? <laughs> I can. Yes. OK, I'm sorry. Somebody Absolutely. was talking to my ear. I don't know what was going on. Um, you say no that they're obviously doing everything great. But if I was holding mm-hmm. it, I would sell it. Speaking of Disney, right. they crushed it. Yeah, they crushed it. Why would you sell and it? And I say this. Well, and I say this as a former holder, uh, Scott, who, who wrote it up there really nicely. It went, uh, obviously, I'm going all the way back towards 100. It got up towards 170. Time to get out. Now I look at this stock, and I think that they did. They delivered. There's absolutely no question about that. But let's not forget, everybody's so excited about streaming, and that's exactly what they should be focusing on. And that's been a big portion of, of what really has gotten the excitement levels to where it is. It's also why you're looking at a P.E. for Disney that we've never, ever seen before for Disney. So I think that's something that you have to keep in the back of your mind. Also, it was the slowest quarter since they launched into the streaming business. So, you know, I know the numbers are great. I get it. I acknowledge that. I'm I'm nobody's fool when it comes to that. But I will say this. It's starting to slow down. And that is something that I think people should be a little bit wary of, maybe worry a little bit. And I think that this stock is, is probably a buy, but I don't think it's a buy until you get something well below 170. Okay. And let's be honest, this is a stock that was 203 back in March, Scott. And then we backed off. And then here it is once again, pushing into these 180s. But I still think that there's room to the downside. I think you can enter Disney a lot cheaper than you would right now. Okay. So let's take that, Kevin O'Leary, mm-hmm. and look at the calls on the street today. <laughs> Bank of America, buy. UBS, buy. Atlantic Equities, overweight. Goldman Sachs, buy. Wells, overweight. Guggenheim, buy. Barclays, overweight. Morgan Stanley, overweight. Evercore, outperform. Cowan, market, perform. And Needham, a hold. And then you get to Moffat Nathanson today, which reiterates their hold. $185 is their price target. They have some of the same concerns, Kevin, that Pete does. They question whether Disney deserves to keep a premium valuation. They admit the quarter was amazing. They love the news from the theme parks. And even the digital subscribers exceeded their own expectations. They just don't think they can keep that up. And they say, therefore, Disney cannot keep that premium multiple. What do you say, Kevin O'Leary? You own it. 
I do own it, and I disagree, and I'll tell you why. Uh, here's, some, here's some positives that are built into that print that the street really hasn't focused on too much. We don't talk about ESPN anymore, but it's become part of the premium package along with Hulu and Disney Plus itself. And so when you, the, 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 the criticism on, on Disney and why you'd sell here would be around ARPU. In other words, all the excitement, as John pointed out, came from the fact that they actually executed well on becoming, let's call them the second biggest streamer in the US. But they don't get anywhere near 975 revenue per user. They're like at four bucks because all of their growth is happening in places like India, where it's 50 cents a user. So if you're going to stay long, as I am, I'm going to make the assumption that the executional skills that started with Iger on this whole journey have now been passed to his predecessor, who actually delivered a really good quarter. And so you can check the box on new execution skills on the new team. They're delivering. So I don't have the Iger hangover issue anymore. Yeah, he's still around, but the new team is delivering. So now my question to the new team, which they got plenty of, was, how are you going to build ARPU? How are you going to get to compete with Netflix where they're making nine plus $10 even when you're at four and change? And their answer was, and this is where you got to make your decision as an investor. We're investing in expanding our share. You get in cheap into Disney, even in their premium ESPN Hulu bundle, and just let us stew that for a while. Give us an Amazon-like vibe. Let us grow without the necessary profits that we could have had until we establish ourselves as a dominant or right beside Netflix. Then we pull the lever on price increases. I'm buying into that story. I'm staying long. This thing's a 5% waiting for me now. I, you know, and, and look, I'm, I'm saying I believe you that you'll pull the lever and within the next, okay. let's call it two years, All you're right. going to increase that ARPU. Okay, so you're saying even if, let's say, Moffat Nathanson is right in terms of maybe they're going to max out on subs or saturation is a problem or, or however you want to characterize it, they'll be able to raise the prices so that that's going to take care of any concerns they have. The parks are going to continue to kill it. So that 50 forward P.E., Kevin, is completely justifiable. Is that what we're saying? Exact, exact. Did I, did I make my case on money court or what? <laughs> you just did. But if you don't believe that, you got to be like John. You got to trim. You got to sell down. You got to exit it or just option it. But if you or believe Pete. they can pull the lever, I'm oh, sorry, Pete. Then you just pull the lever okay. and you ramp it up. And, and I think you got to buy into that. Jason Snipe, you own it too. Uh, of which side of the story are you buying in on today? I mean, they crushed yeah. it. Right. Chapek deserves did. all yeah. the credit in the world. They, they absolutely knocked the cover off the ball. The question is, do they deserve the multiple that the stock is trading at? Can they maintain it to justify where it is now? For sure. For sure. So absolutely, Scott, they, they, they killed it. The print was fantastic. It's an expensive stock and it's a new position for us. We bought in a couple of months ago. We didn't try and chase it last year. Last year was an explosive year, but what I will say to Kev's point on the management team, uh, they've done a phenomenal job. I think from the beginning of the pandemic, they've been on offense in terms of restructuring and expense management. So for us, I think there's upside from here, even the subs growth. I know some of it is low margin over overseas, but I, I think they've executed very well. I think there's upside from here, you know, profitability on, on parks and, and uh, you know, themes and products. Uh, impressive print and i still think they can grow and they will from here shannon you own it as well 
I find the conversations about, you know, the cost of subs uh, very interesting, being a holder of Netflix as well. And I don't disagree with Kevin. I think that there will be more focus, but not right now. I think what we're missing here is the equation on why you owned Disney before they were a streaming juggernaut for their brand. Um, for their content and for their park revenue. If you think about free cash flow and what's going to be needed to continue to fund the Disney Plus expansion, you want to see them raising uh, prices at parks, which they're doing. Reservations have not been um, negatively impacted thus far based on the Delta variant. The, the global brand and the experience and the quality, the extraordinary customer experience that Disney delivers in their parks and now is going to be able to deliver digitally to your home is something that is worth an expanded multiple. And I think that if you're buying this stock and you're looking out over the next couple of years, you're thinking about capital allocation. You're thinking about what do they do from a buyback and dividend perspective, because that free cash flow component is going to continue to grow. And so I know everybody's excited about streaming. I am too. I love content. Uh, but I think we go back to why you would have owned Disney prior to the pandemic and all of that that thesis is still absolutely intact if not strengthening as people realize how much they missed having those real life experiences so even kevin o'leary some of the biggest supporters of disney as as you are or like you like daniel loeb at third point who argued, and we've mentioned this numerous times on this show, who argued that they need to lean in big time on streaming, direct-to-consumer Disney+. Plus. Even he wants Disney to do more. I mentioned his most recent investor letter, which he says the following. I'll quote it again. I quoted it yesterday. But it's still relevant because when you're trying to decide where a stock is currently trading and maybe more importantly where it's going to go from here and whether it measures up to the multiple that it's trading you need to consider what levers the company can continue to pull to justify where it is now and where it may go in the future we continue to believe says dan loeb that the best way to capitalize on this strength to maximize future earnings potential globally both reach and pricing power kevin o'leary is by providing an all-you-can-eat DTC offering on a single platform under the Disney Plus brand where all theatrical content is available day and date with no additional fee to subscribers. So it's great what they've done, but the point is made clear by Dan Loeb, who doesn't sit around and just wait for things to happen. He tries to push for things to happen. They can need to continue to do more. I like the fact that he's pushing there, but you know, I remember Pete, you and I, and the, and the investment team 18 months ago when this stock was 98 bucks or whatever it was, had, being very critical that they weren't executing fast enough to get their streaming service going. And we had, didn't know how many families would engage in it and where Hulu fit and all the stories about cutting the cords with ESPN. Look at this now, a year and a half later. They're number two to Netflix. They executed perfectly. And so if you're going to sell the stock now, you're basically doubting that they can do part two and part three. We're only in the second inning of this baseball game. I think you have to bet on new management here. Now, yes, it's fair to say it's fully priced, but what good company isn't trading at PE of 20 or plus right now? It's really, really hard to find cheap stocks that are executing. That's very difficult. So you've got to stay with your winners. That's the way I look at it. The, the chance that this thing's trading down below 170 anytime soon i think is low unless okay. there's a massive index correction you just said something that really just made me stand up and take notice you got to stay with your winners because pete nigerian and I, people are going to be surprised by this move you sold netflix <laughs> uh -oh. you sold your netflix shares yeah. 
It plays yeah. right into our conversation. You know Tell our viewers why. It was into a short. It was a very short-term play, Scott. It was based upon where I'd seen implied volatilities that were higher in that specific name than in other names where I was able to be able to own the stock, sell options against it, and then wait. And, and I did this for a very short time frame, about two, three weeks. I think I've only been in that stock maybe three weeks, maybe four at the very most. And I've just sold premium against it, and I just decided, you know, I don't know, but I get a little uncomfortable at times because this is a name that does, it does trade, we all know that, at a very premium P.E. It's very high, so uh, I like it. I think they're quality. I think they're number one. I think Kevin was just talking about them being number one. Disney's right up on them, right at their uh, heels as number two. But I still think this is a great name. That being said, I think I needed to take a little bit off the table. I made a little bit of money there. I wanted to leave, and I wanted to look somewhere else. And I might be looking at Disney, just as a great example as this. Now, Kevin, you were just talking about you don't think it's going to go under 170. I think if we get any kind of a pullback, we get any kind of concerns about Delta variant and all the rest of that at another level, I think if we do get that kind of pullback that many of the big economists are out there talking about, 5 10%, Disney's going down with the rest of them and maybe even a little bit more accelerated because it's trading not 20 times, 50 times forward earnings. So when you look at that, you start to say to yourself, you know what, on that opportunity, that's when you step in. And I think it's a great company. They're doing everything right. I think the first innings have been great. But I think that that, that next couple innings are not going to be easy. I think they can execute on them. But let's, let's be honest. It is trading at a premium multiple right now. I can see a pullback, and I think that's the opportunity. And, Kevin, um, Disney does play right into the story of where I wanted to go next, and that's the bigger picture about where we are in this great delta unknown. Is it a temporary blip? Are people going to pull back their spending habits? Consumer sentiment today was horrific. I mean, it was a huge miss. I don't know what that tells you. Southwest Airlines earlier in the week had a profit warning because of close-in cancellations, they said. Does that have a ripple effect more broadly? Does that have an impact on the stock market? And then there's the impact, too, of the taper. Jackson Hole's this month, meeting next month. People think the taper may be moved forward. Now I'm wondering, well, if the consumer sentiment was as bad as it is, and that continues, is the Fed really going to do any change in policy while we're uncertain about Delta? Is that a plus for the market? What do you make, what do you make of that, Kevin O'Leary? I think the consumer number is a plus for the market, exactly for the reasons you just uh, articulated. It keeps the Fed on hold a little longer. And, you know, regarding Delta, I think the market and people themselves are starting to think about this uh, virus, this pandemic. It's it's going to be with us. We're going to live with it. We're going to wear masks. We're going to have protocols around which restaurants require vaccine cards and which airlines do and which don't. I'm, I'm getting into that my own head's getting there and many other investors I talked to are in the same boat. So they're starting to say, okay, this is going to be just like the flu, a worse flu, but we're going to live with it. Maybe we'll get 70% of the population vaccinated and deal with the the different strains each year like we do with influenza. So I think that's been put into a compartment as far as the market's concerned. Far more risky would be that, you know, something like a, a massive pandemic outbreak again, but every day more people get, you know, inoculated. I think your point about the Fed is interesting. If, if Jackson Hole is not just more the Fed's on hold, which is coming up soon, okay, all bets are off on that. If that happens and the Fed is going to ramp up 
and start to tighten, that is going to have a difficult um, impact onto the index. There's no question. S&P is going to correct. Well, and, but I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it happening yet. Not with so many people still waiting, you know, to see what happens in terms of just their employment. Uh, we've also got this amazing stimulus environment. We've got a potential of a, another trillion dollars coming out of helicopters for infrastructure. Where else are you going to go? You've got to stay in your stocks. That's what I think you're going to be rewarded for I the mean, back end of the year. And I like a wall of worry. I like a wall of worry. Look, you're not the only one saying it. I mean, this week alone, Tom Lee called into this program and said you're going to have an everything rally. And the market in large part, Shannon, has moved beyond the Delta variant. Now, maybe it's been able to do that because here in the Northeast, we haven't really felt the effects of the Delta variant all that much. Not nearly as much as they have in the South, but the experts say it's coming. And later in the fall or, you know, in the early fall, it may have a greater impact here than some people perhaps anticipate. But in that move on, cyclical stocks have rallied. Financial stocks have rallied. The reflation trade has rallied. Now, Bank of America, Savita Subramanian says you've got an expensive market and that financials are now a value trap, that some of this money that's moved into what was was perceived to be a cheap place is dumb money because that money is going to be in trouble because it was all a value trap. What do you think? I do think we're entering into the next phase of this rotation. I, I, my view is that I wouldn't be overly optimistic about the next six to eight weeks in, in the more consumer cyclical trades based on the Delta variant. We're not going to be able to take what happened last year and and accept that that is going to be the similar situation from an economic perspective because we won't have forced lockdowns, and I, I truly do believe that. But we will have behavioral response, particularly we're seeing it in California. We're going to start to see it in the Northeast. You know, making choices from a personal perspective that could limit consumer spending. We saw that in the consumer confidence print. I actually think the Fed's going to be concerned about this print, Scott, because I think it's going to indicate that the consumers are bearing the brunt I, I of these higher prices. They're they're being passed through. That is going to concern the Fed. So they're going to be put in a really tough spot over the next eight weeks to determine if they want to move on inflation and potentially upset some of the economic growth on the producer side in order to mitigate that you know, pressure on consumers that they're feeling today. I think that if, if from a focused perspective, a broader brush look at what parts of the economy are likely to continue to do well, manufacturing, the true cyclical side of the economy. I think financials kind of sit in the middle um, because they're really based on rates. And I think that there's still not a lot of transparency on the Fed's path over the course of the next couple of months. But I really like a, a technology industrials barbell because I think that that's where when Tom talks about an everything doing well market, I think you can do well in quality companies that have that have some tailwinds that aren't focused right now on the consumer continuing to ratchet up their spending at an an increasingly accelerated rate. Jason, the Delta variant has always been a downside risk, right? I mean, Jay Powell says it every time he speaks publicly that while the recovery has been faster than they themselves anticipated and inflation has been hotter and perhaps more sticky than they themselves anticipated, it's always but the Delta variant remains a, a, a downside risk. If, if that's the environment, if you look, let's say at financials, which I'm looking at right now, month to date, they've crushed it. J.P. Morgan's up five and a half percent this month to date. Bank of America, eight and a half year to date. The numbers are even more uh, strong, much, 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 much more strong than that. 
Are we fooling ourselves into thinking that a lot of these cyclical stocks that seemingly had some runway? Remember, Marco Kalanovic of J.P. Morgan just yesterday, I believe it was, said that those stocks bottomed a week ago and they were going to have a big run. And Tom Lee saying those stocks are the ones that are going to have a big run. Did we get a little ahead of ourselves in this whole conversation? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a great question. So I think uh, to a large degree, a lot of this, it's, it's a nuanced trade, even as I, as I think about financials and I think about the, the macro backdrop as a whole. You know, obviously we had an inflation numbers this week, a CPI number that uh, was somewhat moderated, of course, over a higher base, a PPI number that was a little hot as, as to be expected. And for me, this sentiment number is, is a big deal. It's a big indicator of where... Uh, you know, the, the investor, the people are as far as pricing and, and, and how these how pricing has impacted them. You know, and, I, and if I think about the curve and I think about where rates are and I think about financials, as I mentioned earlier, I think it is a nuanced trade. I do like the investment banks more than the money centers, you know, because I think those, the pipeline M&A activity is still strong. And I think that's where the opportunity is there. And, you know, I, I think there are other areas of the market. Shannon mentioned mega cap tech growth at a reasonable price. I think those are areas uh, that will do well in this environment. But I don't think it's everything. I think I think you have to be careful about where you put capital going forward. You don't want you don't want people, Pete, to get caught on the wrong side. Right. Bank of America, their flow show, which we like to pay attention to just to kind of get an idea of where money is going into Largest inflows into financials in 10 weeks, $2.6 billion going into financials. So the money is clearly chasing this trade and hoping that it goes a lot higher. The largest inflows, this is for you, Kevin O'Leary, after Pete talks to me about the financials and the money going there, the largest inflows into Europe in eight weeks. You've bought a lot of Europe, Kevin O'Leary, but let's do Pete first on the financials, Pete. So money continues to flow. There's belief right. in that trade. Is it false hope? Uh, I don't know that I'd call it false hope, but I think, you know, wh- all we've got to really do, Scott, is we, we look at what's going on with the 10-year, and you almost can translate that right over and look over at the financials and see where they are. We know the 10-year was down there just not that terribly long ago at 1-1, and here we are at 1-3. So we've, we've had that big move to the upside. I guess the question is, does the 10-year continue to move to the upside the way it has been? And even if it does... There are names that I think trade at at not multiples because oftentimes we look at financials a little bit differently, but price to book and so forth. I think that there are names that remain cheap, and I think there are some names that are maybe a little bit maybe uh, overpriced right now. When you look at price to book and you look at a J.P. Morgan, it starts to feel a little bit more expensive. I think there are other names out there that can perform just as well, if not better, who traded a much better valuation. But I do think when you look at the financials right now, it really does come down to, hey, what's the 10-year doing? And we, we know yeah. it's been pretty active, and we know we've had this path to the upside, and that has been the direct correlation to what we have been seeing in a lot of these different financials, not just banks, just the financials even in general. So Kevin O'Leary, never once, never one to mince words, says to the producers today of Europe, I added a ton. This is our biggest move. <laughs> Really? Your biggest? Yeah, it is. I'm trying to put money to work between now and the end of the year. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying it's a short-term trade, but I'm just trying to position myself for the back end of the year. 
uh, constructive on stocks. Now, which stocks? I could have just added more to my big U.S. names. But for the first time in a long time, I'm looking at Europe saying to myself, the delta, the difference between the average P.E. of our index, 20 plus, versus theirs at 15. And there's 50 names over there that we all know, the Nestle's of the world and the Roche and the American Standard and 50. They're in Switzerland, they're in Europe, and they're in England. And they service our own domestic market. But here's my thinking on why. And I'm using an index that I helped design, so I'm talking my own book. It's O-E-U-R. But it has those 50 names, and it has them for, for a reason, because I want to invest with diversity. But here's the thinking, and I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I look at the vaccination rates in France, in Switzerland, in Germany, in England, in Italy, in Spain, they're way ahead of us now on the first jab and the second jab. So their impact with Delta, you know, is going to be less. Plus, they're getting plenty of stimulus towards the back end of this year. And I think the market, which used to hate the European zip code, hate it, is going to wake up and say, wait a second, they're better off on the Delta than we are. They've got good earnings potential. They're trading at a 20% to 25% discount. And I know all the names and I know all the products. What's wrong with that picture? Nothing. I went long. The other move you made is you bought Beauty Health. Uh, skin is the ticker, S-K-I-N. Yeah, skin is really interesting. I've been looking at this trend that started really heavily at the beginning of the pandemic of people going into clinics for things like Botox and skin treatments and hydrate, you know, getting hydrated skin treatments and uh, drips with vitamins in them and their subscription services. So what's the number one player that's providing all the facial hydronic stuff? That's skin, S-K-I-N. And the reason I like it, I like executional skills on rollouts like this. This is Brent Saunders. You know him from Botox. He he was the former allergen CEO. Now, this is his SPAC that he, he put out. A lot of people don't know the name, but look at the performance of this thing. And he's growing it with his team and his management team, clinic by clinic by clinic. And it's a subscription service. You'll love this deal because once you start getting the treatments and you can add oils and fragrances, every woman I talk to that uses this thing goes back every week for it. And I love that. So this is a, it's Botox, except a little healthier. That's the way I look at it. And that's, that's the play on this name management execution growing sector year-over-year year growth of 40 50 percent i love this i love this trade and before we take a quick break pete you know with all the talk about cyclical yeah. stocks i noticed you bought apple calls more right you yeah. rolled them up yeah yep i you know when we talk about all these names we talk about stretched multiples and some people will say apple's a little bit stretched scott maybe it is you know i i don't agree personally but i think that this is a stock that continues to morph into something different than it once was. And because of that, when I saw um, some very large upside call buying in August, I jumped on again. So I've got multiple positions right now, not just in the stock, but in options to the upside for Apple. All right. We will take that break when we come back. A monster week for retail earnings is just ahead. Walmart, Target, Home Depot among them. There were bullish calls on all three ahead of their results. We'll discuss with the committee find out what their positions are. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We are back on the half in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. 
helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. A federal judge has refused to block the CDC's new moratorium on residential evictions. She said that the ban is similar to one that she found illegal in May, but that she's also bound to follow a ruling by the appeals court that sits above her. As the U.S. rushes to get American diplomats out of Afghanistan, other countries are also following suit. Germany is cutting its embassy staff to minimum levels. Denmark and Norway are closing their embassies temporarily. And on the news, full coverage of the evacuation from Kabul and comments from an intelligence expert on where the fight for Afghanistan will go next, tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Off the coast of Japan, a freighter has broken in half after hitting a reef. The ship was carrying wood chips. All 21 crew members were rescued by helicopter. And iconic crooner Tony Bennett is calling it quits. The 95-year-old singer is retiring after his doctor insisted he stop performing. Earlier this month, Bennett performed two shows with Lady Gaga in New York City. It was supposed to be the start of a limited final tour. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. He is amazing. We wish him well. Mm -hmm. Tony Bennett. All right, Rahel, thank you. The near 50 percent run on Target shares this year is not over, says Telsey Advisory. That firm raises the price target now on the stock to $305. That's a 16 percent upside from here. It's probably below Pete Nigerian's target. I'm sure it is his target on Target, which he says he claims he claims he's owned since sixty five dollars. <laughs> you know, it's right. I do. <laughs> I've, I caught, do. I've caught black this whole ride up. But, you know, Scott, it, it makes sense. And Telsey, I think, is right. I think what where everybody made a mistake is you, you go back to March and everybody said this is peak earnings. And and because of that, we watched that stock actually start the day going higher immediately reversed, went lower. It was trading about 167. It's almost not looked back since that time back in March, and it's been moving to the upside. I think a lot of it has to do with the partnerships that they've made. I think it also has a lot to do with the fact that they continue to invest in the business. They've put themselves out there saying they're going to be putting in $4 billion annually each and every year for remodeling as well as building stores a little bit quicker and working on all the different uh, accesses for people as well to make it that much more easy for people in terms of the online. They just seem to be doing everything right. Just this past week, they announced how they're going to be working with people to send them to college and master's programs and all the rest of that. 
through their own sort of like scholarship sort of a deal that they've got at Target. So they really are doing things, Scott, in the right ways. I think the $9 billion that they took in terms of market share back in March is something that people didn't really recognize. But that's been the case. And when you look, where is it coming from? It's coming from Walmart. It's coming from Amazon. You're getting the middle lower, the middle upper. And and I think because of that, this is a stock that is not done yet. And by, by the way, this is a stock that has grown into where they are. You know what the PE is right now, Scott? 22. Walmart's still a 25. So it still trades cheaper than Walmart does, even though it's made this unbelievable run. And Walmart started the year at 145, now about 149. So I can tell you, uh, it's still less expensive. And this kind of is like back to the Disney conversation of what does the PE look like and is it stretched? Target, it is not stretched. So, I mean, you have no hesitation about just not taking anything at all off the table. And if you don't, you don't. That's No one says you have to if you really believe right. in the future of this, this, uh, this stock. Yeah. I think the commitment that they've made to continue to do what they're doing annually, I mentioned $4 billion, I think that really does speak volumes for, they could have just rested on their laurels, right? I mean, years ago, Brian Cornell t- talked about $7 billion, they're going to put it out there, they're going to redo stores. Well, now they're doing that $4 billion annually. So this is something where they are committed to make this absolutely at an excellent side. And when you look at all these partnerships, Scott, whether it's Ulta or so many others, it's, it's amazing what they've been able to do in a very short time frame. Yep. Props to you. Uh, stock chart speaks for itself, right? Um, all the recommendations that you've made on it and all of the grief that I've given you uh, <laughs> along the way. <laughs> it's okay. It's all good. More power to you and hopefully our viewers who hopefully are, have been along for the ride and have yeah. made some good money. Uh, Home Depot reiterated outperform at Telsey as well. Shan, that's you. Yeah, we're excited for this report. I mean, we're, we're going to see... I think, you know, sort of tougher comps in the second half of this year. But I think for the second quarter, if you're looking, if we get same source sales above 5%, I think that would be a nice upside surprise. 45% of their business is professional buyers. So wanting to make sure that these big projects are still happening. Um, I think we could get a little bit of a bump in the back half of the quarter as lumber prices have moderated. Uh, but the other thing to look for is just, you know, e-commerce in general. They have put a lot of money and a lot of effort in growing that over the course of the last year or so. And we expect that to still do well. There's no reason not to go to Home Depot, but having this second avenue for e-commerce is certainly something that we're surprised and and pleasantly surprised about over the last couple of years that so much volume has started to run through their e-commerce platform. Jason, you don't discriminate between the two, Home Depot and Lowe's. You own them both, right? Yeah. 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 I I like Home Depot. I like Lowe's. I like the home improvement trade. You know, I had had owned D.R. Horton, you know, as a builder. And obviously when prices started to move, I, I exited there. But you know, from a home improvement standpoint, I think you need to own both of these names. I think there's continued upside, you know, and Home Depot's front. The only thing I would add to Shannon's point, they they also built out three uh, new distribution centers that I think will benefit uh, consumers and customers from a logistics perspective and making sure that they're getting their items uh, even faster than they originally had. So I like both of those names. And I know we talked about Target a second ago. And Walmart, by the way, was also reiterated overweight at Stevens today with Jason owns that. I know you heard Pete praise Target. He owns Walmart calls. Kevin O'Leary, you own Walmart. You wish you would have listened to Pete about $200 ago on Target. Yeah, but I do own Target, too. But Walmart has been a big disappointment. And I want to point something out about these names. 
You know, so much of these big box retailers depend on executional excellence of the management teams. And when I compare what happened back in March, let's just look at the, the different worlds, compare the performance. Walmart hasn't even kept up with the index and it's fallen behind the group as well. I know it's a higher PE, but look at what happened in March, Target versus Walmart. Target gets into this program and says, look, you can buy stuff online from us, drive up to your local Target, and we'll throw it in your trunk. So many of the people who did that had never been inside of Target. So they were poaching Walmart customers with that advanced idea, getting the systems in place and making it work. And now I sell to both those guys because I have a lot of consumer goods products in my private portfolios. I fly to those headquarters. I meet with the buyers. You go into Target, you get a vibe in there, and that's culture from the CEO on down that I can spend my career here. I can go to school on them. I can work my way up the management team. I can go online and serve. It's a culture that they've delivered that has really, really made it an interesting company. And look, I'm still a shareholder of Walmart, but I'm saying, Chop, chop. I mean, if you're going to redefine who you are, Walmart, you better start telling your Amazon part two, because it's really about your online integration. And I don't think they've got that story out. And so they've got some work to do in the back end of the year. All right. Stay with us. Pete has unusual activity coming up and we'll do it next on The Half. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Pete, unusual activity. What do you have for us today? I'm going to start off with gaming services. I'm going to give you Zynga, Scott. Now, this one's pretty interesting because a week ago, the stock was $10. It dropped all the way down towards $8, and they crushed the earnings itself, but then they cut the full-year forecast. So that was not something that shareholders wanted to hear. They sold off the stock. Stock's still trading right around that $8 range. Yesterday, they were buying the September 8th. Today, they're going all the way out to December, which is very unusual. Everything's been really short-term. But they're going to December. They're buying the nine-strike call, Scott, 20,000 of those calls going for about 50 cents. So somebody thinking there's going to be some sort of a rally in Zynga now, between now and the end of the year, and it's not costing them a whole lot, and they're going all the way out to December. So this one's pretty interesting to me. I'm in that trade. Secondly, I've got AMD. Now, in the past, we had AMD as well. This is a stock that went from under 93 all the way up to over 122, and then it reversed course once again. Now it's trading right around 109.80, and we had a very large buyer of 14,000 of next week's 117 calls. They're going somewhere between 70 and 80 cents. So I like seeing this. They're coming back. The stock is starting to come back. And somebody thinks that in the next short time frame, we can get up there back towards that 120 level pretty rapidly. So I had to buy these calls as well. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that, Pete. NVIDIA, yep. it's one of the best performing stocks in the S&P 500 this year. And Cisco is one of the best performing stocks in the Dow. Both set to report earnings next week, which means we will get you ahead of that next. All right, now to a few tech earnings due out next week. NVIDIA and Cisco are set to report on Wednesday. Let's go through some of these. Shannon, Cisco, what do we think ahead of the number? 
So this should be a pretty easy year-over-year -year comp, Scott. We bought this back around 36 uh, last year. So we've seen a nice gain. Um, I think what you want to watch is you want to hear you know, how supply chain constraints are affecting their lead times. There's certainly going to be some, and they could range anywhere from a few weeks to a year, right, for certain components. Most importantly, we're interested in their software model. Um, we think that that's what's going to drive their... Um, the, the Cisco use in hybrid cloud solutions, particularly for small and medium-sized businesses, which we think are going to have an increasing share of enterprise spend over the next couple of years. So NVIDIA, you know, maybe fair to say is the more interesting one, if only for the fact that the stock has done so well, the bar Thanks. has to be high, <laughs> right? Not, no disrespect to, to Cisco and, and what the expectations are for those of you who hold it. But I mean, NVIDIA is up 53% year to date. It seems like the stock's gotten a positive call the last couple of weeks every other day, which means, Jason Snipe, that the expectations just continue to rise right along with that, doesn't it? Absolutely. And for me, NVIDIA is just the gold standard in the semi-space. Uh, data science, AI, machine learning, you know, it's a must-own. But yes, I mean, the concert will get more difficult from here. The expectations are extremely high. Uh, but I do think the print will be strong. I do think it will be strong, and I think it's it's a must-own and something that, that should be in your portfolio from Mr. a semi-perspective. Mr. Money Court, you own NVIDIA as well, right? <laughs> yeah, I think the way you got to look at NVIDIA, it's the Moderna of the semis. It's a must-own name. It, every single sector of the S&P 500 is using their products and services. They are the reason you can digitize. They optimize digitization. I mean, th they're basically the infrastructure of the new America 2.0 digital direct-to-consumer business in every aspect of it, in every sector. I mean, you got to hold your nose on valuation, but you always had to hold your nose on this thing. And then in the early days of volatility, and they basically showed you executional skills and then brought the standards forward and all of this digital digitization technology, I, I, I don't know how you can't own it. If you want to be in the market, this is, one, this is the Moderna you have to have, the way I look at it. Right. Ask Halftime is coming up next. Send your questions by video. We will play them on the air, and you can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back in two minutes. All right, let's answer some of your questions now. First up, Pete, we have a video question, a homegrown one for you. Hey, Pete, it's Big Hike from Minneapolis. We haven't seen you at the gym lately. Just wondering if you forgot how to get here or if you just quit lifting. My question is this. I want to invest a significant amount of money in one of our fine Minnesota companies. We've got a lot to choose from. We've got United Health, which is my first pick, and we've got 3M, Target, Medtronic, and others. What are your thoughts and why? Take care. Okay, Pete, what do you think of the choices? You, if right. you had to pick one, I, I know knowing you, you'd say, yeah. well, I like them all, but <laughs> what, if you had to pick Scott, one. Scott, I like them all. <laughs> if I have to pick one right now, I, it might be Medtronic, to be honest with you, and Big Ike is right. I need to get in the gym a little bit more frequently, but yeah, you look at Medtronic, medical devices, I think it's really well run. They've got great free cash flow, and they've got an unbelievable balance sheet. So because of the fact that I can't choose Target, probably can't go with Toro, I'm going to give you Medtronic. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Next up, Mr. Wonderful, a video question for you. Hi, this is Scott from Cincinnati, Ohio. 
Is 23andMe a good long-term buy, especially given its extensive human genome database and the wealth of future drug development? Thanks. Been a rough go, KO. Uh, down 30% yes. since June 17th debut. Yes, this actually came through as a SPAC. Uh, it was a despacking event, uh, 23andMe. The, the, the challenge for the company and what investors have been focusing on is the customer acquisition cost. It's done digitally. You have to find that customer, get them to send the kit to them. They buy the kit, then they have to bring it back. Um, and it's been challenging. But if, if you're, if you're going to get into the name now, you're buying into the idea that it's not really a pharma company at all. It's a data company. And the more they aggregate the human genome data for all these sample sets for people that are developing drugs and other things this is very very valuable now they're not the only company doing that and certainly the chinese have put a government focus on doing that there's many different people pursuing their strategy but they're probably the best known name uh really strong a woman ceo there uh, that uh, has been with the company uh in, through, through all of this customer acquisition so you got to go long term here if you're going to dig into this name this is not a trade you want to own this for the next three years uh, that's a rough go uh down another six and a half percent today all right shan uh christine in new jersey when are we going to see reopening travel stocks soar expedia airbnb which is on the move today TripAdvisor, all haven't popped yet but the airports are packed well they actually have popped if you go back to last year and you look up through sort of late march to mid-april for these stocks um, and we've seen a little bit of a, a decline since then and that's because these stocks need volume so although you're feeling like the airports are packed Airlines haven't added back all the routes that were available prior to the pandemic, and there's still limitations. So until business travelers get back out there, until the consumer demand is higher, until we see more volumes, um, these are going to kind of trade sideways until we see that. Okay. Uh, Jason Snipe to you. Ben in Long Island wants to know about biotech versus the transport. Should I get rid of the IBB, which is the biotech ETF, and buy the IYT, the transports instead? What do you think? Yeah, look, I, I own them both. IBB's got a lot of activity in the in the biotech space, but I think there's a better setup, you know, in the transports and the rails. I'm betting on the consumer here and the pricing power that the rails have. So I, I would I would move for IYT. IYT here. Got some consolidation in that space too. All right, we will take another break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Do not miss a new episode of CNBC's primetime series Money Court with Kevin O'Leary. That is Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. Having fun so far, Kevin O'Leary? Well, I'm sharing judge duties with you on CNBC. So one of us has to pay the other guy royalty at some point. (laughs) I I think you'll be paying me. I think that's only fair. (laughs) What's your final trade? It's going to be Skin, the beauty company, health and beauty company. I love this. Facial hydration, fantastic team and management growing over 40% a year right now. All right, good stuff. Thanks for being here today. Jason Snipe. Yeah, PNC, I really like the BBVA acquisition. I think that will be immediately accretive for the business. Stay long here. Shannon? Air products, APD. Uh, love the cyclical exposure in true cyclicals right now, and this has a nice dividend yield as well. All right, and finally, last but certainly not least, Pete Najarian, the man from Minnesota. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, I bought actually Kevin O'Leary's. I bought options in that beauty health stock that he's got, SKIN. So you I mean like just that, now? But my final trade is not that. Yeah, but. Not just that. I also, uh, Coke, I see some call buying in there. I like what I've got. I already have stock position on. Great weekend, everybody. All of you as well. The exchange is now.
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.